So we're going to talk, uh, what are we going to talk about this morning? We're going to talk about God and Jesus. You know, this Christian walk is, is not as uh, intuitively obvious as we often maybe think it is. Um, you know, the, the, the general trend is, is a Christianity that kind of supports our lifestyle and culture. And so our lifestyle and culture has tended to actually squeeze Christianity into an acceptable form to the degree that in, in, in and, and I'm not sort of hammering the culture, but it is where we live, that there's very little that would cause us to suffer because of Jesus. Because if you take all the rough edges off, Jesus becomes my buddy and he's always in a good mood and he loves me and he just wants to bless me. And beyond that, I do whatever I want. Until you flip it around and start saying, if I was Jesus, would, is that what I would die for? I mean, would I go to the cross for that? And you dig a little deeper and, and, and you begin to realize that we've actually emasculated so much of Christianity. And so that's why many Christians are bored stiff. I actually talked to somebody this week who's not a Christian and, and he... he it's actually Cheryl's brother. Cheryl's not here, so I'll just talk about it. <laughs> just noticed that. Okay, well, let me tell you about his brother. Brother's a guy who lives in, in Quadra. He's a really very cool. I really enjoy him. And, but he, you know, he, he, he leaned over because they grew up in a Lutheran church. And he said, you know, it was so boring in the Lutheran church. And what really bugged me was, why does this have to be true? Which was an interesting phrase. You know, he, he said, I think he, he has this deep sense that it is true, but the whole trappings are so boring, it kind of doesn't go anywhere. And it's because we've brought God and Jesus down into our little Aladdin's lamp genie. So I ask him to make the weather nice or get me a parking place or heal me, but it's all around me. And I'm not trying to beat me up or you up with that. I'm merely just going... The good news is that most of us are dissatisfied with that, and yet at the same time we're frightened to let him go further because then he'll cramp my style and he'll demand things of me and he might send me to Africa. That's the cliche, you know. Or he could send you to Canada. It works both way around. Um, and I want to talk this morning about that tension because we are in a battle. And it's a very real battle. And the battle is for... Oh, Cheryl, you, you, you missed me talking about your brother. That's good. <laughs> well, you just shouldn't leave. Anyway, so there's this real battle between good and evil, light and darkness that Jesus actually came to reveal. It's like we live in darkness and Jesus came with uh, those infrared uh, goggles and says, if you actually put these on, you're going to see a battle that you never even knew was there. And when you begin to see through Jesus' eyes, life begins to make sense. As Paul says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. Because there are these unseen things that keep on tugging inside me, but I really don't know how to make sense of it. And part of what it makes sense is that life is ultimately spiritual. It's the unseen realm that is actually the most real. But we are so rooted in a, in a tangible realm that it's very, very hard for us to believe in the unseen. And yet, in our culture that has jettisoned Christianity and or 
jettisoned Christ, Christian religion, which needs to be jettisoned. You go through the tarot cards and all those kind of fortune telling and seances, and there's lots of spirituality going, crystals. I mean, educated people actually hold crystals up and say they actually have power. Swing crystals and do things. It's demonic power, but it provides an experience, and people are longing for experiences of truth. It's false truth. It's still an experience. And so in Africa, with, on that video, you, will, you would see is that Africa is the fastest growing Christian people group in the world. I mean, massively fast growing. Because they, they've grown up with that kind of evil power. They know the spells of the witch doctors. And so to, 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 for somebody to become a Christian in Africa, they have an experience. Jesus is Lord or the witch doctor. Who's got the biggest power? So in the name of Jesus, I speak freedom to you. When they get free, they go, whoa, he is real. Here, we're sort of dumbed down to a neutrality that makes it difficult. In fact, the power is greater over this continent. The numbness is deeper. The battle is actually harder because we have been totally seduced by materialism. Now, I'm not beating anybody up. Please don't hear me that way. I'm talking about diagnostically, trying to make sense of what Jesus came into the world to do. Jesus didn't come into the world to start a church. He didn't come in the world to spoil Sundays. He didn't come in the world to franchise Easter bunnies or to kickstart Santa Claus or Father Christmas. Those are actually also demonic, by the way. Everything that takes the attention away from Jesus has a spiritual power behind it. So how do you put this into perspective? I want to speak about in, in an emotional way. Um, God so loved the world that he sent his son so that all who would believe in him would come to a place of life. And, we, and we've heard those words. And Jesus went to a cross. He, he came to a place where um, what separated human beings from God was the desire for the human being to be God to be in charge. And Jesus came in. One of the reasons he was killed was because he threatened the religious leaders and he said, God comes in the form of who I am and he comes with love and he comes with power to overcome evil. And the religious leaders didn't like the fact that their power was being threatened. And Jesus went to the cross to break the power of evil and the lies of evil over this world that actually imprisoned this world Evil can only communicate through the tangible. Evil can only communicate through objects. Evil needs, the evil spirit needs a human body to be manifest. God's spirit doesn't. That's why the human body becomes a place where evil manifests itself in anything that will destroy the human body. So every tangible, are you going to follow me here? Every, every spiritual truth that Jesus speaks has a counterfeit in the demonic or the tangible realm. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the gifts of God's Spirit that come from the Spirit to the Spirit. When evil can't get to the Spirit, it gets to the body. So it offers love, joy, peace, patience, kindness to the body. How does it do that? I'll offer you love through sex. I'll offer you joy through ecstasy or some drug. I'll offer you peace through marijuana or alcohol. I'll offer you uh, freedom through money. Then you can do what you want. 
I'll offer you lots of time away so that you can relax. I will look after your body if you sell me your soul. That's what happened. And when Jesus comes, he says, I've come to bring you life. And I laid down my body to pay the price for your body, which has been, which has been so distorted and so crippled. And that's why Judy can come up here and say, in the midst of watching a son who might die, because you see, we're not going to pretend that's not there. We live in reality. In the midst of that possibility, Jesus comes and says, I've got you. And I've got him. That doesn't mean you don't struggle. It just means in the midst of darkness, there is light and hope beyond understanding. And what he wants to do is to release a people who show and declare that extraordinary capacity for hope in the midst of hopelessness, apparently. He doesn't come as an optional extra. He says the human race desperately, desperately needs help. Now, the reading this morning is all about the cost of following Jesus. And many, many stories or many, many sermons on the cost of following Jesus, you've got to take up your cross. It's not easy following Jesus. You've got to give up stuff. And there's somebody who came and said, I will follow you. And he said, yes, but. Jesus is one of the few people who didn't say, oh, great, a crowd. He said, well, let me just make sure you understand what you're in for. And so the sermon can be, and probably 20 years ago I would have preached it, which is you've got to get your act together and you've got to give up this stuff and you've got to make sure you're here. And I would give you a lot of rules. Or behaviors anyway. If you don't really love God, and you'd walk away going, oh, I don't love God like that, and what's wrong with me? But Jesus didn't speak like that. Jesus starts from the inside, and he says, if you love me, you will just do this. It was the news. There was a terrible crash in Switzerland this, weekend, this week. You probably heard about it. A bus going through a tunnel smacks against a wall. 22 or 28 kids are killed, or 20 four kids and two adults, three adults. Massive smash. And if you're like me, you, you read it and you go, boy, that's sad. And five minutes later, I'm looking at the golf in that part of the newspaper. If Carmen or Michelle were on that bus, I wouldn't have gone to the golf. I would have a, booked a ticket to Switzerland. And there would be a mood around this place today that would be shaken, right? Because you know the person who's on the bus. And because somebody you love has died. Now what if God looks at us and says everyone's on the bus? What happens if God sends Jesus to say, if you stay on this bus, there's a crash ahead of you. And you go, no, no, this is a safe bus. We've got fresh bus drivers, which was true in this case. It's never going to happen. And he says, if you stay on this bus, there's going to be problems. And so he so loves the world that he comes into the bus and says, stop. What happens if God feels about you and me like you would feel about one of your children or somebody you knew on that bus heading for disaster. Everything changes when love is at the center and relationship is at the center. See, a church with a, without a sense of urgency is like people saying, I'll just pack you some sandwiches on the bus journey. I'm not sure whether you're crashing before or after lunch. There's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of anything matters. 
But what happens if everything matters? And what happens if God actually says there is a way to live that you don't have to live in the fear of that crash? I just want you to know the urgency of life. It's that kind of context that I'm trying to draw us at our attention to. In, in John 15, Jesus has this uh, discussion with his disciples, and he, he says to them, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. He's drawing a distinction, he's, and he spends a whole two paragraphs talking about how the world hates him and his disciples because he's saying, if you belong to the world, you'll fit right in. If you belong to me, you will not fit in. If you belong to me, you will start to stand up against some of the things the world without me calls important. You will actually be different. You will actually stand up and say, I don't believe in this. No, I do not think this is a good idea. Yes, you can take my job because I am saying no to this. Canada used to unapologetically be Christian. It's no longer Christian. Why? Because nobody stood up. Nothing mattered enough. So we are where we are. And God's going to raise up a new bunch of people who will stand up. Not in offense. Just say, I can't do it. I can't do what you want me to do. So you'll have to put me in jail or you'll have to do something else. But I'm not doing what you want me to do. I'm not bowing to you. What God wants is that to come out of a place of love. Because if you want a living and vibrant Christian faith, it's got to matter. And the place you start with is what matters to me, what is important to me. Now, imagine you're on that bus and you have an action replay. And Jesus walks in. This is, a, a, you know, there are lots of wrong things with this analogy, so don't try and hammer this one out. But Jesus comes into that bus and says, I can set you free. And you go off the bus with him. And then he, you, you, you see the bus crash and, he, and, and you recognize what you've been saved from. All I'm trying to put into our hearts and heads is, do you have an understanding of what you've been set free from? You have an understanding of what God is doing when you say yes to Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Because the level to which you comprehend what he's done for you and what you've been saved from will be the level to which you're willing to live for him from. Amazing grace is only amazing when I know what I've been rescued from. That's why healing can be powerful. When you see the power of God setting somebody free or healing their bodies, and you can't explain it other than God. You go, God is amazing. Look what he did. A really good prayer to pray is be amazed. Lord, I want to be amazed. But if you want to be amazed, be prepared for God to say, will you let me show you yourself so that I can show you my answer to you? You, you cannot know the grace of God unless you know your own disgrace. You'll just have religion which puffs you up and you go, well, he's very lucky to have me. But you have no clue as to what you've actually been rescued from. And so it doesn't cut deep and you won't stand up for anything because nothing will, will matter that much. Does that make sense? Not really, maybe. As the time approached for him, this is from Luke chapter 9, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Resolutely means he, he really... Uh, seriously and with everything in him 
pointed to Jerusalem. Why did they even say resolutely? Because there were lots of times along the way where people wanted him not to go that route. Sometimes to follow Jesus takes courage. Sometimes to follow Jesus means I have to say no to other things. And he sent messages, messengers ahead, on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him he, because he was heading for Jerusalem. The Samaritans were, uh, they weren't tight with the Jerusalem group. They were a branch of a, a Jewish, uh, the Jewish faith that there was lots of prejudice, lots of racial tension, and lots of negativity towards the Samaritans. And the Samaritans said, no, he's not coming here. He's going to Jerusalem. We don't want anything to do with him. Jesus' disciples... Uh, James and John saw this and they asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Jesus had called these guys to follow him and within a couple of months, they were strutting their stuff. We've got power. We've got influence. We keep company with Jesus. And these guys had the audacity to say no to him and his request. Do you want us to burn them, fry them, Lord? And Jesus, if you read it, it says he rebuked them. Why did he rebuke them? Because he said, you haven't got a clue what I'm about. You've just asked me to fry my brothers and sisters. You just asked me to bring fire down upon the people who are the equivalent to me of your children. I don't have favorites. I do not operate like you do. I don't seg segment people into culture groups. I have a friend called Kevin who is the professor of neurophysiology and in, in Switzerland. And last night I happened to see him talking on a, um, giving a, 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 quite honestly, quite a boring talk um, on the brain in Jerusalem last year. But he just said something quite interesting. He, sh he showed pictures of the brain. He's been doing this for 45 years, 40 years. Um, he showed pictures of the brain. And he just said, there is no, if somebody was just given a brain, and he was comparing Einstein's brain to a normal brain. He said, you actually can't tell the difference. You can't tell whether it's male or female. You can't tell whether it's intelligent or not intelligent. You can't tell what race it is. You can tell nothing about the brain, from the brain, about the identity of the person whose brain it was. In other words, all brains of the human race are equal. And God sees us like that. He just says, I do not put you into the categories you put yourselves into to feel more important. And so he said, no, you don't burn the Samaritans. He rebuked them. If you follow Jesus, he rebukes at times. How are you with rebuke or being corrected? The cool thing with James and John was they just went on to the next village and probably were a little embarrassed, which is fine because... Hanging out with Jesus causes those moments to happen. And then they were walking along the road, and a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, First let me go and bury my father. That's a year-long process in Israel. Your dad dies. You put him in a family tomb. You wait for the body to decompose, and a year later you go and you gather the bones, the bones of the fathers. You gather the bones and you put them in a corner so there's room for the next person. Wait till I've buried my father. And Jesus said to him, 
Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this sounds tough, doesn't it? But what he was trying to you see, people were hanging around Jesus, and they liked what they saw. And by and large, what they saw and what they were getting was pretty cool. It was healings and miracles and love and truth and teaching. But Jesus was very aware that what he was doing was introducing the kingdom that was going to have a cutting edge that would leave most people running scared. Because they were still very unaware of the battle that was underneath and the battle that he was intent on winning. And the battle that he was intent on winning would demand that he laid down his life, that he would die for this and trust his father to raise him from the dead. Because he had in mind you and me and he said, if I just teach and hang out with this crowd, there is no hope for anyone who follows. I have to break the barrier between good and evil, between the father and the human race. There's mystery in that. But there was something way beyond what those people saw. And so Jesus, when they said, I'll follow you, he said, I'm not sure you will. Not at this point. Are you willing to leave your family? See, when God says, God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus left his family. He left his realm. He left his palace, his kingdom. And he became human. And there was nothing in it for him. There was nothing on earth that could compare to heaven. There was nothing that would satisfy like heaven. But his focus wasn't upon him at that point. It was on what he could accomplish if he was obedient. He lived for others. But it was costly. And he had to step out in faith because he didn't know what was going to be there. When he was born, he wasn't born as, as God. He was born human. And he had to grow in faith and then follow his father as his father led him through this life to the cross. And I've said before, you know, I, I would be very surprised if Jesus didn't, if he was standing here talking about his human life, talk about being tempted, about having a family, about being married, about being sexually active, about being secure, about everything that human beings worry about or want. So when Jesus is saying to the man, um, let the dead bury their dead, or he's actually saying, I left my mother and I left my family in Nazareth and I'm wandering around sharing who God is and demonstrating who he is and the cost is I have no place to live. Do you think you would do that? And so there's this but. I'll follow you, but. And he, he's going, I, I, I don't think you will. They would eventually. Peter said he would. Peter said, I'll follow you. And when it came to the crunch and they came to Gethsemane and Jesus was threatened by the Romans, Peter ran away, chicken. But Jesus came back to Peter later. And what was the, the key element? The key element was that by that time they realized the love of the Father revealed through Jesus to them. All those disciples ended up following Jesus, probably because they also ended up running away from him at the cross. They first said, yes, I'll follow you. You might find this in your own life. 
Yes, I'll follow you. And then it gets inconvenient. So you stop following. But when you stop following, you also find that the alternative doesn't really satisfy you. And so you come to another deeper conversion where you go, you know what, this is more valuable than this. And you decide, Jesus, I want to follow you again. But when you come to him, as I did this time, you go, but now I'm so aware of how I've screwed up. I need grace. And when Jesus came to Peter on the shore of Galilee after he had denied him, he just said to him one thing. He just said, Peter, do you love me? Because at the end of the day, he says, you know, I can tell you the costs of following me, but it's not going to make any difference. If you love me, you will bear the cost. If you don't love me, you won't. It's as simple as that. And you can only love me as a response to my love for you. That's why it's so important for us to know the love of the Father ourselves. If you don't know the love of the Father in your heart, you will just argue about God with whomever you might be talking about. It won't hold you. It won't sustain you. It won't do anything. It's got to grip you. That's why sometimes it only grips when we get broken, when we come to the end of ourselves. And at the end of ourselves and nobody's there, we hear the voice of God perhaps saying, I'm here. I'm not going to let you go. Now come. Let's try again. And what God was doing, what Jesus was doing on that road was saying there is this battle and there's a cost involved, but the cost will only be met when you know my love present. And what I'm merely uh, wondering about is, as, as we share together this morning is, is the depth of God's love that you know and the cost that you're willing to bear for him. If I don't know why I'm thinking about Kevin. I guess I saw a thing last night. It was very funny. I just thought of this now. I visited him in Zurich about seven years ago, six years ago. And we were going from his house to the university. And he said he was on a bicycle. And he said, get on this bus and then get off somewhere on the road. And I get on the bus and I, I don't know whether I was paying attention or not. Suddenly, uh, Kevin's belting. He's a fit guy, but belting down the road on his bicycle and hammering on the bus saying, get off the back because I had taken the wrong turning or something. Why am I thinking of that? I'm saying when you know somebody and when you care about what's happening to them, you make an effort. And God has used other people to get your attention, to bang on the bus and say, I'm here. There's more to life than you know. For, for many of us here, he set our hearts on fire. And he just says, I want you to, to do that with other people. I'll give you the cries of your heart as you actually reach out to others. And that's why, um, how do I say this delicately? Um, that's why things like belonging to a church are important. Because that gives, it places a mark in the sand that tests you. That's why Sunday mornings is important. Don't hear me the wrong way. But if you, if you never have tangible marking points that demand something of you, you will never know what kind of battle you're in. In other words, you say, I'm committed to being there on Sunday morning. Guess what happens? Other things happen on Sundays. So you go, well, I'm going to belong to that, and I'm going to do that. And what happens if the Christian church starts saying, I'm not doing anything on Sundays until I've gone to worship the Lord with my friends? The reason, I remember when Terry Fox, first, they first had the Terry Fox run in Port Alberni, I wrote a letter and said, could you do it at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock on a Sunday if you're going to do it? 
but it wasn't a strong enough voice. doesn't matter because everybody works through the week. Sunday's the only free day. Translated, doesn't really matter. It might cost me something, so I'll go with the rest. And the world does not worry about me because I've just been anemic and I doesn't matter. The one thing the Muslims have is they stand up and say it's ours, whether you like it or not. There will be costs to following Jesus because Jesus calls us to places that the rest of the world doesn't want to go. Be prepared for them. All right. And one final thing. You know, when Jesus says to them, when they say they're going to follow him, and he says, can I go and do this and can I do, go and do that? Do you know what he's really saying? He's saying you don't need it. It's not important. You don't need it. Beyond death, you don't need it. You came into the world naked, you'll leave the world na naked, and then you'll be fried. Nothing that you have in the tangible will survive death. It's only what's invested in the spirit. So he says, most of the things that you're prioritizing in your life are not going to be worth it. Your kids will, your kids will spend it, or something else will happen, but you're not going to need it. So invest in your spirit. Invest in what is not visible. If you want love, joy, peace, patience, invest in Jesus. And when you know the value of the investment, you'll be willing to give up whatever in order for that investment to be nurtured. Let's pray. Let's stand up, shall we, just because you've been sitting for a while. Just ask the Lord what He's trying to encourage you with, because this is meant to be encouraging. It's not meant to be a negative thing. Uh, in a sense, it's just meant to make sense of why we have battles. Father, I just pray that you pour out your Spirit right now. Uh, for some of us, we need to know your love. For some of us, uh, there's a void you, that you're hearing my voice and you're hearing my words, but you say, I don't know that kind of love. I don't know that God really cares. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. I want to know that love. I want to know your grace. And grace just means that there's nothing that you're conscious of that will uh, be something that God can't bridge to, to help you know him. So, Father, I pray that you refresh each person here uh, with your love this morning, with a sense of your faithfulness, a sense of your kindness, a sense of... Uh, that you're not finished and you're going to see us through to the end. And I break uh, the accusing words that speak over us words of condemnation and words of disqualification and words that cause us to give up. And your participation in the prayer is, may say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to be one who is inspired by you. I want to make a difference. And we're not talking about being objectionable. We're just talking about bearing witness to a deeper value. So, Father, teach us how to be your disciples in the culture in which we live. And I pray that as you, uh, you pour out your spirit, receive God's spirit, that he can use us to make an impact in the world we live. Help us with our priorities, that we would just choose things that bring life. So thank you, Lord, for your great love and your great presence, the gift of Jesus. And as we pray for ourselves today, we also just remember... David and Megan and the youth group down in Mexico, going to Mexico today. We just ask your spirit to keep them safe. We ask you to protect them. We pray that they will learn things about you this week that will change their lives. We pray that as they build a house for a, uh, a family that doesn't have much materially, they would find spiritual truths that they never saw before. And so we just ask, Lord, that you will build things in them that will surprise them and amaze them and equip them for the rest of their lives. Thank you that you're a God who is extraordinary in your capacity to change lives and impact lives. 